You're listening to Christianity 101, a Sunday school series taught by the elders and deacons of Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, good morning, everyone. We are going to get into our, it's kind of like a final lesson in the Christianity 101 series and a first lesson in our new series. And so this is like the bridge lesson. So I hope that it goes well today. So the past five months or so, we have been uh, hearing from six men in our church who have covered nine doctrines that we believe are essential to the Christian faith. So what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to begin with a little bit of a quiz. And the quiz is to see who can name the doctrines. Now, you don't have to name all of them. You just have to name one of them. But I want to see if out of these nine doctrines, how many we can name. And you get bonus points if you have the word ology, suffix ology, at the end. Okay? If you don't have the, the ology, you just know what it is, that's fine. You still get points. But bonus if you can ologize it. Ready, set, go. Nine doctrines, crucial to the Christian faith. Justin. Hellology. Hellology. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay, I don't even know what to do with that because um, there's two of the nine, I should clarify, that you can't actually ologize. And that's one of them. <laughs> but he still gets the points, right? He, uh, Sure, yeah. You get all the points that don't matter. Eschatology. Eschatology, good. And that is the study of? End times. End times. All right. Good. What else? Pneumatology. Pneumatology. Good. Does anybody know what pneumatology is? Pneuma is... Breath, right? It's spirit. So it's a study of the Holy Spirit. Good. What else? Soteriology. Okay, good. So soteriology, I think, would fit under a... Di- it was, we definitely talked about it, but it would fit under a different, larger heading that, that was discussed. Christology. Good. So bonus points for both of you. Soteriology is the study of salvation. Christology, uh, Christology, you should probably be able to figure out that one. Metriology? Metriology. What is... Oh, maybe not. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, what would that be the study of? Stars. Stars. <laughs> Meteorology. Okay, yeah, we, did, we didn't actually cover that one, but man, missed it. <laughs> Good. Okay, you're missing like the big, the big one. Theology. Theology. Good. And then you're missing the one that that would be about us, mankind, <laughs> study of man, also called anthropology. <laughs> anthropology. Good. Good. Okay. Now, under the heading of anthropology, we talked about the fall of mankind and the doctrine of sin. Can anybody give me the ology for the doctrine of sin? <laughs> You can say it. Oh, I just said synology a minute. Synology. No. Yeah. Okay, this is a weird one. It's harmardiology. That's the doctrine of sin. That's the study of sin. Um, good. And then there's two more. Church. Yeah, doctrine of the church. Ecclesiology. Good. And then the last one. Bibliology. 
Good. Kind of feel sad that the very last one you got was the one that I taught. <laughs> and I had to tell you. So that's what, that's what we've been studying over the last, last five months or so. And within each of these larger categories, there are many other doctrines that have big words that most Christians, though they may understand the concepts behind them, can't name them. Right? They wouldn't be able to give a working definition for them. Um, and so I thought it might be, it might be fun just to try a couple words that would fall under this and just see if, if we can like hammer these out. Does anybody know what the inscrutability of God is? Talking about a, a, a characteristic of God, an attribute of God. Inscrutability. It is that God is beyond our comprehension. There, there's no way we can fully comprehend God. doesn't matter how much you know and learn about God, you will never fully understand Him. He's too great. Impassibility of God. Impassibility. No, that's not it, but good guess. Okay, so this, is, this one's an interesting one because... When you say it, right away, you go, what? No. It is that God is not given to passions or that God cannot suffer. Now, that's where we go like, well, that doesn't make sense because Jesus suffered. And so there's a lot of discussion that has to be had about the ability of God to suffer compared to the ability of God taking on a human nature that has the ability to suffer. And that's where we have to... But what that means is the impassibility of God, it is connected with the immutability of God. That's that God cannot change. And if God was a God who was given over to passion, so all of a sudden he became very passionate about something, that means that there would be some kind of change in him. And that change has to be for the better or for the worse. And so the impassibility of God means that God, every every emotion that he ever has was a designed and a controlled and a purposeful emotion. That there's never, like human beings, we are we become passionate and sometimes overwhelmed by our emotions. That can't happen to God. We're going to try a couple more. The aseity of God. Aseity. Danny, you want? Yes. God is self-existent, self-sufficient, not dependent on anyone or anything. He is God, as glorious as God is, all by himself. Last one, the simplicity of God. Simplicity of God. One essence. Yeah, it's kind of like that. So the simplicity of God means that God is not the sum of all his parts. We might say that, that some human beings possess joy for a time, that, that, that they are joyful at, and, and so they have joy. But you wouldn't say that about God. You wouldn't say God has love. You would say that God is love. And, and love is the essence of God, just like holiness is the essence of God. And so you can't start putting attributes together. And, and once we stick them all kind of together, we've got what God is. What we have is God is all of those things completely. He, he's not a sum of parts. He is the simplicity of God is God is all of those things fully. Okay. Now I say those things, not because you, you have to know those things to all be good Christians, because you probably didn't know some of those words. And, and yet you could still be good Christians. The question I, I'm getting at is, and I want you to think about your answer to this. Are we 
better Christians if we know more theology? No. Think about it. Don't answer right away. Eric, you want to? Only if we can apply it. Okay. So we're getting we're getting to something here. That's that's a really important point. Are you a better Christian because you know more about what the Bible says or where to find it? Would you be a better Christian if you have the entire Old Testament and New Testament memorized in the original languages and in your language and translation issues? Would that make you a better Christian? Well, it would lend to it. Okay. Necessarily make you a better Okay. But it would definitely give you the ability to... Walking right. Better, renew your mind better. Yes. Beth? There are people that have a lot of knowledge stored away that have no emotion, no connection with the Lord. Okay, good. Memorize without ever knowing the Lord. Yep. I think we need to know truth in order to do God's will and to know God. So yep. we need to know doctrine. Yep. Yep, we do. I mean, we need to know doctrine. Good. So says in the Bible, faith like a child is a great value because mm-hmm. they don't study, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's yeah. Go ahead. But faith like a child is 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 a, a, a form of faith that is is handled as a child would handle it, trusting. Yeah. So the trusting of it is right. So it's not necessarily you only know what a child knows, but it's it's coming to God like a child would. Sometimes yeah. I think in all of his glory. The more you dig into it, the more problems you create in your head. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that I think that some of that can be true when we're digging into it for the wrong reasons and in the wrong way. And so, what I want, what we're trying to do this morning is we're trying to talk about how do we ha- use what we've learned over the last five months when we're talking about Christianity 101. How do we make that bring us to a place where we're actually better Christians or where we're at least trying to to live out our faith in a more full way, trying to glorify God for all of his attributes more fully? How how do we do that? C.S. Lewis says, it is not access of thought, but defect of fertile and generous emotion that marks many intellectuals out. So he was referring to um, liberal theologians of his day. Those who were really smart and very educated, but when he looked at them, he saw that they actually, as for as much as they knew of the Bible, as much as they could describe about doctrine, that they didn't seem to be walking with the Lord. And he says it's not the the axis of thought, it's a defect of fertile and generous emotion, that they've, they've missed the connection with God, the emotional aspect of our, um, our spiritual lives. He said, their heads are no bigger than the ordinary... It is the atrophy of the chest beneath that makes them seem so. (laughs) I thought, what a great way to call people out. It's not that your head is bigger than everyone else's. It's that your chest is so small that it makes your head look big. Right? That's that's what he's saying. You've You've got no body to it. You've got no heart. Okay, your your chest is so small that your head looks big. And this is I thought. How important for us to understand that, right? We can get our heads so big and, and so full into doctrine and knowledge, and yet if, if our hearts aren't following our heads, if we're not really um, taking that from knowledge to love and passion for God, then we have missed it. Can I just give a, a, a little quick analysis? Yeah. I'm just kind of thinking now. And I think if you look at the time of the portion buggy, 
there were tons of people who said, why do you need your advanced technology or find the way it is mm-hmm. and compare it to what we have now? There's a huge comparison. So it, it may be troubling to advance, but I think what you said is the advance for the right ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I would say that knowing God deeply, if that's the goal, and I think we could probably agree that the goal is to know God deeply, you must also know him widely. So if you're going to dig a really deep hole with a shovel, okay, how do you do it? Have you ever dug a hole and they want to get like 10 feet deep, 12 feet deep with a shovel? You get a backhoe. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, the, the fact is, it doesn't matter if, if you only need to put one fen- fence post in that hole and it's only this big. If it has to be 10 feet deep and you're digging it with a shovel, you are not going straight down. You're, you have to go wide. You have to, to, to move in. If you're trying to chop uh, uh, the trunk of a big tree with an axe, you don't just chop in the same spot over and over and over again and think that somehow you're going to get through it. You, you start wide. You take out big chunks. You got to know more. And so if you want to know God deeply, you must also know him widely. Okay? You cannot love what you do not know. You can't worship God for attributes that you're not aware of. And so we do have to, and what I, what I want to do is because some of us were prone to study and some of us are prone to the emotional side, the, the, the passionate side. And I would never want to say that one is better than the other, but what we'd want to say is if we're prone to the study, we got to make sure that, that, that our heart is, is involved in that. And if we're prone to the emotional side, we got to say, I, I need to be informing my mind though about who God is and what I'm really worshiping for. So it's not just this emotional experience of, of, of closeness, intimacy with somebody I don't know that this is actually, I'm, I'm worshiping God and loving God for who he really is, what he is. So that's why we study the Bible, and that's why we study doctrine, and that's why these things are important. So I want to give you five ways to dig deeper and wider in a knowledge and our love for God. Okay, five ways, five ideas, and there are many more. But the first one is to study backwards. Study backwards. Study doctrine. <laughs> study doctrine. Study doctrine. Okay, and, and what I, the reason I said backwards because I looked down and I saw the word backwards. <laughs> Try. I'm not trying to go backwards here. So I'm not trying to say you got to really get deep into God and love God, and then and the first part is study doctrine. I think though we start with this study doctrine. Okay, I love Tara deeply, passionately, intensely fervently. She's got gorgeous black hair, beautiful brown eyes, and every time she gets the hiccup, she giggles. So cute. And I could say that, and most of you are like, you're not describing Tara. And, and wouldn't it be weird if I had these like great emotions for my wife who I didn't, I didn't know? Right? She doesn't giggle when she gets the hiccups. I've never heard her do that. She doesn't get the hiccups very often. Um, there's a lot of things about Tara and a lot of things to love about Tara. But if I didn't know those things, it would be weird for me to say I love them. And so we have to study doctrine. I have to study Tara. I have to know some characteristics of hers to really love her. This is, I think, for some people, one of those things like exercise. You know that if you exercise, that you'll have more energy, that you'll feel better, that you'll be able to do more things, that that things will go better in the future. But you also know that exercising is hard, especially at the very beginning, especially when you're first getting into it. It's it's really hard to, to do those things. 
And so what we do sometimes is just avoid it. But here's the thing. If you've ever actually started exercising, you know that after you've been doing it for a while, you begin to see the benefits and you begin to enjoy it. And it, and it does get a little bit easier. And you start to put the pieces together and you start to understand how it works. So I would recommend that if you're not, if you're not regularly studying doctrine and studying the Word of God, do it. Start. It, the Lord only give you so many breaths and I ain't waiting them on exercise. Well, the great thing is, though, <laughs> bodily exercise profits little, but that's great. <laughs> Ken, you might have a few more if you did. <laughs> that is that is everybody's takeaway from this class. Right there. <laughs> I would recommend that if you are not somebody given over to study, then find somebody who is. And have them show you what they do and what they read. And, and they, they're not going to start you with like, hey, let me impress you with the hardest book that I've ever read. They're going to say, Here, here's a good starter book for you. Here's one that's really at, written at a popular level that you'll get a lot from. Um, follow their lead. Read some good books and not just the newest books. <coughs> right? Not the ones that have the prettiest titles. And they make books now that just like, even the cover feels really nice, right? Like they have material on them and stuff. And yeah, they're beautiful. Doesn't mean they're better though, right? Read some books that aren't brand new. I promise that it will not stay boring. It begins to get easier. And in fact, it will become enjoyable and exciting for you. But you got to get started. So study doctrine number two, love God more than theology. Okay, love God more than theology. So if theology is the study of God, then you've got to make sure that you're loving God more. He is not a subject. He is not a thing. He is a person. It would be completely valid for me to say, I love studying philosophy. I love studying that subject, right? That science. It would be weird if I said, I love studying Tara. That would be kind of weird, right? Like, what do you mean you love studying Tara? You like to, to like watch her and just like know all the things she does and how she does those things and, and be able to describe every part of who she is? No, like that, it would start to get weird if I was describing a study of Tara the same way I'd study some kind of science. You've got to love the person. Now, in order to love the person well, there certainly is going to be study that goes along with it. I'm supposed to dwell with her according to knowledge. So I need to know some things about her, but it's, it's really not a practice of just studying a per, uh, studying about the person. It's loving the person that causes you to want to study them more. And so love God more than theology. The funny thing is, if you study people this way, do you know what eventually might happen? You might learn that you love them less. It's possible, right? You meet somebody, you know them, you know a little bit about them, and you really like them. And then the more you get to know, the more you're like, ooh, not so much. But that will never happen with God. The more you study God, the more you will love him. The more you know of him, the more you love him. There is no flaw in him. There is no point where it goes, oh, you know what, I wish I could go backwards a little bit. I wish I could erase some of that. He becomes more and more glorious. And so study, study God, but love God more than the study of him. Okay, Do it for your love for him. Number three, intentionally think about how theological doctrines influence daily living. 
So how do we get from it being in our minds to, to really living it out in our hearts? That's actually not as easy as it sounds, right? It does sound nice to say, well, it's got to go from your heart to your mind to your hands. Like we agree, it should be affecting all of us. But it's not that easy. It's not just just because today in church you learned a new word about God or a new doctrine about God, all of a sudden everything in your life is different. The way you think is different, the way you behave is different, the way you think about God and the way you love God is different. It actually takes some intentionality. I've heard Alistair Begg say many times that he'll quote somebody and then he'll say, I'm quoting this person because it was during a time that people actually used to think. Right? And the idea is that, that we've lost the art of thinking. That we're always putting something in front of us to entertain us or to feed us, to pour into us, but we're never ruminating on what we've read. I heard recently somebody say that we should be thinking about what we read twice as much as we, twice as much time as we actually spend reading it. That's a lot. And I don't know if that, that that may be like more than maybe what we could ask for, but what if you thought about what you had just read about in God's word for half the time that you took to read it? What if you cut your Bible reading from, let's say you do 20 minutes to 15 minutes and spend five minutes just ruminating at the end of that time on what you had just read? If you are taking intentionally thinking about the theological doctrines and how they influence your daily life, I can guarantee that will, that will move you from head to heart and then eventually to hands. So take one doctrine, immutability. Okay, immutability, maybe not a word you know. God does not change. He's, he's unchanging. Now we hear that, and if you just heard that and you, you thought, oh yeah, okay, I, I kind of know that, and that's great. How does that impact your life? Do you know that immutability is, is maybe the most important doctrine that God, uh, uh, attribute that God possesses? Because all the other attributes would be always in limbo. If not, right? Immutability might be the most practical doctrine we have. Why is it that I can say that God loves me even though I'm a sinner? Well, because the Bible says it and because God never changes. And if God changed, it wouldn't matter if the Bible said it because that might not be the case today. And in fact, Muslims worship a God who sometimes is merciful and sometimes is not. And we don't. We worship a God who never changes. And this is a glorious thing, that God is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Um, his promises never change. His love never change. changes. His um, anger is never out of control. Um, he's never going to give sin a pass. His, his wrath towards sin doesn't change. So in all these ways, God doesn't change. And that's that, that's a reason for us to be able to read this word and to live our lives and know that though we change all the time and our emotions change all the time, God never does. That's a glorious thing. And if you take any doctrine and you begin to ask questions like, how does this doctrine impact the world? How does this doctrine impact my church? How does this doctrine impact my family? How does this doctrine impact my eternal destiny? How does this doctrine impact my life, my actions, my attitudes, my thoughts, my behaviors? If we started asking those questions about the things that we're learning, it would transfer it, right? It would, it would sink deeper into us. That's the goal. Number, number four, read the Bible more than books about the Bible. 
read the Bible more than books about the Bible. And I think this is a, this is a huge one for me. This is an important thing for me to remember. Uh, we went to the conference last week and we were handed for free 18 brand new books. All handpicked by the speakers, all recommended highly to us. That's a lot of books to just have. And I purchased a few more that are specific to studies that I'm in or things that I'm wanting to learn about. And so, There's a tendency, I think, for us to be like, I've read the Bible, I know the Bible. So I I think we have a tendency sometimes to be like, I I know the Bible, I've read the Bible, I I hear about the Bible a lot in church, and and now I want somebody that's just going to give me something that's really easy to read. And and there's times, there are places, books can be very helpful, but I'm just saying that if you wanted to get to know somebody, and you were able to read their their autobiography, you were able to read a book that they wrote about themselves, that they were, they were writing to you to give to you. It would make sense that the best place to get to know that person would be by reading what they've written about themselves to you. Especially if they're God and they're all knowing, and especially if you could be sure that nothing in that book will ever be wrong. That every aspect of that, that book is perfect and that that book actually said everything that you needed to know about that person. If you could be sure of that, why would you be going to all these other books that are kind of written about small aspects of, of this book or to explain or like they're, they're not, they're not unhelpful, right? They can be very helpful in certain areas. They can help you guide your thinking in certain areas. The Bible is a massive book and it's hard for us just to, to figure out what it means. And so having other people pass on some of their knowledge and their study to us can be very helpful, but it doesn't make sense to only go to other people when you can, we can go to the source. So, one of the ways I think that we that we do a good job of making sure it's not just in our heads that it's it's coming out of us and it's it's in our hearts is by going to the source because can I remind you that the, the Bible is the book that God promises to use that it will um, divide our soul and our spirit that it's able to get down and see the deep recesses of our hearts that it can expose our sin to us other books they don't there's no promise there there's no promise that the spirit of god will illuminate those books to us but there is in the bible and so read it okay i think when we come to the bible we come to it we should come to it with a a sense of humility and with an understanding of its greatness we don't come that way before other books And so we need to be putting ourselves under the word of God regularly. Number five, pray for personal growth and intimacy with God. We are always praying that God will change our circumstances and rarely praying that God will change us. And I I thought about that this week. I thought if I was to write down my prayer list, my normal prayer list, the things that just naturally come to my mind to pray, I would be pray for this person's sickness, pray for this person's suffering and their loneliness, pray for this person's salvation, pray for these people that they'll have comfort and strength, um, pray that this person's test or the unknown thing that they're going through, through that they would have a good outcome, pray for safety and whatever activity is taking place or whatever journey we're taking or somebody else is taking, uh, pray for the working of God through the, this event or through this Sunday or through this youth group or whatever it is that's coming, um, and thank God for the love that and the forgiveness and the grace and the patience that he has with me and, and, and what he did for us on the cross. That, that would be like normal prayer time. Okay, is there anything wrong with that? Those prayers. 
I mean, no, not really. I, I don't think so. I think that those are all legitimate prayer requests. I don't, I don't even think that I would look at those prayer requests and think, man, I'm so selfish. Really, I mean, most of the prayer requests are about other people and other things are going on. <laughs> but here's what's missing. Lord, help me to be the man that you've called me to be. Now, I've got a, I think you got a blank in your spot, so you can write woman if, it, if that pertains to you. Um, help me to be the husband that you want me to be. Help me to be the father that you want me to be. Help me to lead my kids spiritually. Help me to set an example for them. Help me to speak truth to them. Help me to help me to understand and apply the truth that I heard in church today. And what if every person that came to church service that heard the preaching of God's word went home and prayed that prayer? You'd think about the truth that you heard. Hopefully what would come to your mind would be the scripture and the the doctrine that was discussed. And then you'd be asking God to help apply it to your life. What a difference that would be. We just love to pour in and we don't like to ruminate. We don't like to pray over. And so what if we were to do that? Today I saw in your word that I can endure the suffering I'm going through with patience because I know you are in control and one day soon you will come again to make everything right. Give me a little preview of what's to come. Okay, What if we prayed that prayer today? Help me to find peace in your sovereignty. Help me to trust your justice when I'm wronged by others. Help me to control my temper and respond with kindness to those who are hostile toward me. What if we prayed those prayers and really, really meant those things? God, I need your help to do what you're asking me to do. Give me opportunities to serve you. Give me opportunities to show the love of Christ. Give me opportunities to share the love of Christ, to share the gospel with my friends or my coworkers or my neighbors or the people that I just prayed about that I want to be saved. Help me to take opportunities and have opportunities. Um, Lord, help me today to walk with you, to let your spirit lead me, to be sensitive to what he's telling me. Help to bring truth into my mind and my heart as I live today as I make decisions. Forgive me for blank. We don't pray enough for intimacy with God. We don't pray enough for our own personal growth, for our own humility, for for all the things that we need. It is very, it's easy, It's, it's great. It's really important to pray for others and to pray for activities and pray for God's working in the church and all those things. But what if we spent more time praying that we would be changed? Dan? I guess I guess what happens when when the flesh is there, right, is you you look at what the end result will be. Mm-hmm. So you're kinda of like counting the cost. So kind of immediate pleasure from what you're doing then mm-hmm. to so it's really an eternal outlook and it, if yeah. you can't see that, then you're just kind of well, going to want your end at that moment. Yeah, yeah. So that's the battle: is 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 in that that faith, that moment there in faith. Do you want to grow in Christ and in the knowledge of the Lord and grow in works? Right. Paul says he's he's commending them because they're growing in works, but that starts with faith. Yep. And that starts with the action of knowing yeah. God. Absolutely. So many times we count the cost and we say, you know what? That's boring right now. Like I'm going to go do something else. And we don't believe. We don't believe that this is how we grow. Yeah. Some yeah. other way. So. Yeah, and and what's interesting is that we we kind of innately know that if we were to pray these prayers, that God would work, and maybe that's part of the reason that we don't. But if we want this, right, and we're here, so presumably we want this, then why don't we pray those prayers and and then let God work because He will. Uh, 
cost in offensive our flesh is against it. Yeah. We know if we pray these prayers sincerely mm-hmm. to a cost of the mm-hmm. to a cost the flesh to be not as powerful in our lives. Sometimes yeah. we miss that. Right. It's our nature sometimes to live by our flesh because we're comfortable with it. Right. And yeah. those prayers pray that yeah yeah that's 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 so good um there's a book c.s lewis wrote called screw tape letters and one of the chapters deals with uh how the the young demon in training is supposed to make the christian think about praying and how the prayers that he's supposed to allow this christian to have and so the the point of the chapter is to say make sure that that christian is always praying for things that are far away from them Always praying for generalities, right? And never praying for themselves. So you can pray for your angry mom that she'll just be not so angry, but don't ever pray that, that your attitude will be changed toward your mom, that you'll treat her differently, that you'll live differently in front of her. Um, and that's exactly what we're talking about, right? I mean, <laughs> this is where growth happens. So five things, study theology, love God more than theology, think about how theology applies to your daily life, read the Bible more than books about the Bible, and pray for growth and intimacy with God. And like I said, there are many others. You could, I mean, another one you could just say right off the top of my head is align yourself with other people who love Jesus. You want to love Jesus more? Spend time with people who really love Jesus. That That's awesome. And so this is this message, this idea, the bridge between the relationship between knowing and doing, right? We've done the Christianity 101 series, and I really did appreciate that, yes, we went through all those doctrines, but we, as we went through, we tried to make those doctrines practical. But the next step is um, how does what we believe change how we live? And how do we live out these beliefs? How has God told us to? It's, it's the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? Orthodoxy is right belief, right doctrine, and orthopraxy is right practice, right living. And that's like, <laughs> we need both. We have studied the person and work of Christ. So how does one get saved? What does evangelism look like? We have studied what the gospel is, the plan of redemption. But how does that gospel transform the life of a sinner? Right? What does a gospel accomplish in that person's life? We've talked about scriptures and the attributes of scripture. But how should we be reading and studying and applying it? How should we be preaching it? What are some good hermeneutics to take to, to the Bible? We have studied the doctrine of the church. But how do people act toward one another within the church? How is church discipline supposed to take place? What does it look like? How does church discipline, how does discipleship fit into the ministry of the church? What does that practically look like? What about missions? How do we practice missions in the church? These are some of the topics that we'll be talking about. We'll be looking at doctrine from a very practical standpoint. Um, one thing that one speaker said, and I don't have the quote right off, so I'm going to butcher what they said, but um, they said the goal of the Christian life is to make our believing and our being match. And that, that's the goal of the Christian life. I believe, I know, I've learned, but now my being, who I am, has to match what I say I believe. And so let's look at a couple of scriptures before we close where Jesus makes this abundantly clear, the importance of knowing, hearing, and then doing the word of God. John chapter 7, verse 14 says, Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. 
And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters? The idea there of letters is how does he, how is he learned or how does he know the scriptures or how is it possible for him to teach like somebody who is educated, having never studied? Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Right? Doing the will of God meant that you had to know the doctrine of God. It meant that you had to not just know some things about Scripture, but you had to know the Christ of Scripture, the Messiah, that you had to be understanding it the way that he meant for us to understand it, not twisting it to suit our needs. These Jews knew scripture inside and out. They would take one of 613 laws and add 39 new rules that went along. to In order to keep this one law, you had these 39 new sets of laws for just one of the 613. Right? They knew scripture and they had all of these things going on, all of these religious practices. They didn't understand doctrine and the way that God wanted us to understand it. And so they couldn't do the will of God. So doctrine is clearly important in order to do the will of God. Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. It's not just calling out. It's not just naming the name. It's not just knowing the phrases or knowing the lines. It's knowing God and having him know you. Luke six forty six telling the same story lord and why call you me lord lord and do not do the things which i say i mean that's kind of a funny thing that happens in christianity isn't it they have so many people who who call lord lord but nobody wants to go to the bible to learn what they should be actually doing and saying well that's the same you know i was sick and you visited me i was hungry you fed me thirsty you gave me to drink these are the actions in your life that the lord looks at yep Absolutely. Those are the clear things that he told us to do. Right. And, and, and so many times we want to serve the Lord on our own terms. We want to do the things that we think that we should do. And we're not really looking at, okay, Lord, what, what have you called me to do? What, what is it that's important to you? What, what am I supposed to believe and then do from your word that will glorify you? John thirteen seventeen. Um, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. The happiness, the joy, the difference in your life comes when you're doing the things that he said. Luke 8, 21, he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are those which hear the word of God and do it. Luke 28, but he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they which hear the word of God and keep it. James chapter 1, verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Verse 25 says, But whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty... You look clearly into the the word of God, the law of freedom, and you continue therein. He not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man should be blessed in his deed. In all those cases, it's just so abundantly clear. It's not just about hearing and knowing. It's about allowing what we hear and know to transform us from the inside out and then doing what we've been called to do. So the danger here for us, number one, is that we know nothing about God. As a danger. It's a danger not knowing and just feeling. It's also a danger, number two, if we do nothing with what we know. Head to heart to hands. That's that's the idea. That's the goal. J.A. Packer is a world-renowned theologian. He's 91 years old right now. He's a Canadian citizen living in, in England. 
He said, the width of our knowledge about God is no gauge of the depth of our knowledge of him. The width of our knowledge of God will determine how deeply we can know him. Did you get that? So if you know widely about God, it does not mean you know him deeply. It's not the same thing. But it will determine how deeply you can know him. And so study and then know that the truths we're discussing are not just for intellectual stimulation. They are the greatest, most glorious realities in all of the universe. It's not just our job to know them. We must be changed by them and we must share them with others. Thank you for being a part of the series. Thank you for coming today.